Alrighty, welcome back everyone for another episode. We're gonna be talking about common questions regarding the topic of deconstruction. Um, this week, I'm really excited to unpack some of your questions. Last week I asked on Instagram if you had questions. Um, I've also obviously been fielding questions almost every week um, for several years about deconstruction. Um, and so I have a very good idea of the most common questions that come up. And so I'm gonna intersperse those along with the questions that we got um, last week. I've tried to group them and theme them. So if you think that sounds like my question, but it's not exactly the wording I used, it's because I probably got four or five questions around that and I've kind of summed it up as a category um, rather than reading a very specific um, question. Uh, I figured that's probably the best way to go. Um, I had hundreds of questions to filter through and so that seemed like the best way to do it rather than go through hundreds of questions where so many of them kind of overlap in one way, shape or form. All that said, I probably still will have a lot of questions to work through. I've written them down here and there's probably about 35 or so. Um, I'm thinking I'm probably gonna break this up into a couple episodes. You know me in questions. I can take an hour to answer one question sometimes. So I'll play it by ear. Maybe I'll break it up into a few episodes. Um, as you know, recently I've been navigating a lot of health issues. I've been trying to unpack some childhood trauma that's been coming up and I'm working through um, and so I haven't been as active uh, in bringing out podcasts every single week. I, mean, I used to do them twice a week and right now it's probably about three a month I'm kind of averaging. Um, and so maybe it would be a good idea to have them slightly shorter, some uh, uh, longer, more in-depth questions and, uh, and maybe we'll put out a few more podcasts that way. Um, I appreciate everyone's love, support, encouragement. Um, I, I love getting your messages of encouragement um, and, and chatting with you. And, and I'm still trying to chat with as many of you as I can over on Instagram. Um, and so thank you for that. I appreciate all of your um, loving thoughts, prayers, healing vibes, whatever it is you believe in and, and feel and, and can send. I appreciate all of that. And um, thank you for that to everyone that's been um, there for me in the last few weeks and months um, as I'm going through these kind of pretty hard times. Um, and so... I appreciate all of that. Right, let's dive in, eh? Should we go straight into questions? Um, I guess actually before I do, I should uh, do my usual plugs. As always, check out the deconstructionnetwork.com if you are going through deconstruction and you don't have a community of people around you in your local area um, that kind of get what you're going through, can support you in what you're going through. Um, deconstruction can be such an isolating and lonely process. Um, and the deconstructionnetwork.com is a completely free resource. You sign up, you put in your kind of city, your county, your um, state, your country, um, and it will show you people that are in and around your area and you can message them and connect and hopefully try and make some new friends in your area that kind of get what you're going through. Obviously, people aren't gonna believe the same thing. Everyone deconstructs in their own way into their own beliefs. Um, but many of us have come from a similar background and that can be such a huge thing. And so if you're feeling isolated in this journey, um, do check out the deconstructionnetwork.com. Um, and also, uh, while you're at it, if you want more community, there's a wonderful online community via my Patreon. If you want to support what I'm doing, everything I do is for free. Um, chatting with people through their deconstruction, supporting them, uh, putting out resources to podcasts, videos, different things like that. All the research I do in this area of deconstruction, it's all free. Um, and the only reason I can do that is because people support me on a monthly basis. They give five bucks, 10 bucks a month. Um, some amazing people give way more than that and, and that's phenomenal. Um, but if you are able to uh, support me in that way and you, you appreciate what I'm doing, 
um, and have val uh, uh, you know benefited from uh, what I do for free, um, but are in a place to give, that's a wonderful way you can support what I'm doing and support the work of deconstruction and helping others that are deconstructing. Um, and obviously, because I do everything for free, there's not much I can show you in appreciation for that. I can't give you a copy of my book or you know get access to my online course or whatever it is that, that other people charge for. Um, but we do have a wonderful online community on Discord where we connect and chat about all sorts of things and support each other um, through the day-to-day -day journey of life as we deconstruct. Um, and so you would be uh, able to join in on that. We do regular Zoom calls, audio chats, and all sorts of other things. And so it would be great to have you on there if you do want to support what I'm doing and be a part of that online community. It's patreon.com slash phildrysdale or phildrysdale.com slash partner. Um, you can do that through either website. All right. Enough of that. Let's dive into some of these questions. So the number one question I hear across the board all the time, and gosh, it is telling of uh, the backgrounds we are coming from, is how to navigate the fear of hell. Um, you know, so many people ask me this question as, as they deconstruct, they are terrified that they might be wrong and they might be going to hell. Or maybe they don't even believe in hell anymore. They actually physically are like, no, that's definitely not a place. They have logically come to that uh, concept and gone, there is no place called hell. I cannot go there. And yet they still have nightmares where they were wrong and they have died and God is sending them to hell and they're going to be tortured for eternity or something like that that can be so vivid and so real and so terrifying. Um, that's, that's something that people have often. I frequently talk to people that haven't believed in hell for decades and yet still have night terrors and anxiety where they um, just randomly think, what if I'm wrong? What if there is a hell? What, what if I'm gonna burn forever? Um, and the truth is there's many components to navigating this. Um, for some people, um, it might be that just intellectually engaging with the concept of hell, the theological concept of hell will be helpful for you. Um, for example, what most people are taught in um, kind of the conventional church today, the modern church today, is that if you don't believe in God, you'll go to hell. If you do believe in God, you'll go to a place called heaven. Um, but actually, across the breadth of Christianity and across the history of Christianity, that's not the only way to, to see the afterlife. In fact, it was only like uh, um, uh, one third of people, really, one th uh, third of the group of early Christians believed that. Um, a whole other group of uh, Christians believed that there was no afterlife um, uh, or that there was no afterlife for those who didn't believe in God, but those who believed in Jesus would get an afterlife. So there was no hell, but just a heaven. Um, and that comes from uh, the traditional Jewish belief. Believe it or not, Jews didn't believe in heaven or hell. Um, it's quite a uh, hard concept to grasp, but up until uh, a few hundred years before Jesus showed up on the scene, Jewish people didn't believe in the afterlife. They believed that everyone was worm food when you died. Um, and they had some people uh, believe that maybe a handful, a very small select few, maybe like King David or someone like that, Enoch, would live a life so virtuous that they would be taken up and, and get to and be resurrected to live with God and, and for eternity. Um, but generally speaking, the average person had no such luck. Um, and so it's quite funny that actually uh, the, the, you know, the history of Christianity, if we trace our steps all the way back to our Jewish um, family, didn't believe in an afterlife. Um, and yet we stake so much certainty in the concept of a hell or heaven afterlife. Um, and then a whole other branch of Christians believed in um, 
heaven and hell uh, as uh, as a reality, but hell was redemptive. It was a process, a painful process of working through the stuff in you that would cause you not to be able to enjoy being with God. And once you work through that pain and that hurt and that suffering, um, you might come to a place where you could finally be in the presence of God. You could be love. You could be in the presence of love. Um, and so the concept there was that no one would reject spending eternity in the presence of, of, of a loving embrace. Only someone that had been deeply hurt or had been misrepresented what that loving embrace might look like would reject God. And would God send someone to eternity in hell because they were misrepresented the gospel? Would God send someone to eternity in hell uh, because uh, they uh, had been abused or hurt? And, and most early theologians would say, no, of course not. He would heal them and then give them the opportunity to spend eternity with him. And so even within the Christian tradition, there's these three different views. And so once you start to learn that, you go, gosh, I, I might not even believe in hell, but the the what if I'm wrong? Well, I'm only fixating on one component. There's actually loads of different things. What if I'm wrong? I might spend eternity in hell, uh, in heaven. Uh, what if I'm wrong? I might spend eternity in hell, sure. But what if I'm wrong? I might... Uh, just be worm food anyway. That's what some Christians believed. Um, And so the truth is, it's not as black and white. And so intellectually understanding that these certainties that Christians have rammed down our throats as we grew up, you know, this certainty, if you don't believe the right way, you're going to hell. If you don't do this, you're going to hell. If you don't confess with your mouth and, uh, you know, honor the Lord, your God, Jesus is your Lord and Savior, you're definitely going to hell. That isn't what a huge portion of Christians have believed throughout the entire Um, history of Christianity Um, and so it's not as black and white as we were led to believe Um, and there's actually a great chance that even if you're wrong you'll spend eternity in heaven with a loving God Um, and so just doing that intellectual exercise reading some great books about um, hell there's uh, Her Gates Will Never Be Shut by Brad Jerzak is a great book Um, Shall All Be Saved um, by um, David uh, Hart Bentley is a great book um, there's a great, uh, t- uh, not TV series, a great YouTube series called Hell's Illusion by a guy called Don Keithley. So if you're just wanting to kind of explore within Christianity what the afterlife looks like, that can be a helpful tool um, for you to kind of intellectually engage with the topic of what, what if I'm wrong or what about the afterlife. There's lots of options there if you're still within that Christian branch or you're, or you're just living with those niggles in the back of your mind kind of you know, chipping away, going, "Mm, you might be wrong, you might be wrong, you might go to hell. It's really helpful to understand that the concept of hell is not really a very certain concept in the way that most of us grew up with uh, understanding. It's quite a new idea um, and certainly isn't one that all Christians have believed uh, throughout history. Um, Specific sets of groups of Christians have like knuckled down on that thing and really hunkered down on that belief. Um, And most of us coming from maybe Protestant, evangelical backgrounds have only been exposed to that. Um, But there's loads of other ways that we engage with the topic of hell. Some of us are engaging with the topic of hell through trauma. You know, the the teaching of hell has traumatized us um, and it has created a fear response. It's created anxiety. Uh, We haven't been able to conclude that that, uh, fight or flight response. And so just the thought of it jacks up our whole system and and creates a whole bunch of adrenaline and fear and anxiety and it shuts down our digestive system and it might give us a headache it it can do all sorts of different um, things to our body and to our mind because we were traumatized being taught 
from a young age that if you do anything wrong, if you step out of line, if you somehow displease God, you're going to burn forever in hell. Um, that's a very traumatic uh, thing to believe for a lot of people. Um, it's really common for people to hear that and to have some lingering trauma. And so because of that, for some people, just looking at the intellectual exercise, it's not going to help. Um, and a lot of people, that won't be the case, even if you're not traumatized. There's other things that we can look at. But um, it can be very helpful to sit down and work through that trauma with a trauma specialist. Okay, so I would highly recommend finding someone that is CPTSD, complex post-traumatic stress disorder. Um, I'd highly recommend someone with that kind of um, background to explore. Um, I recommend uh, being very cautious, not uh, going with Christian counselors. Uh, the, even the best intending Christian counselors can find it very hard to work with people that are deconstructing because it's such a uh, a hard thing for them to navigate, even if they can uh, disassociate their personal lives from your personal life, you're really challenging and you're walking through something that that really challenges what their core foundation is, their beliefs, their 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 identity. Um, and so it's really not fair on them and it's not fair on you in a lot of ways. So if you have a really great connection with your Christian counselor and it does work well and you've already kind of discussed that, that's fine. I'm not saying drop them straight away or anything, but I'd say when you're looking for a counselor, certainly... Um, I wouldn't recommend going with someone that identifies as a Christian counselor. Um, and it might even be worth talking to them and say, do you have a religious background? Because um, uh, that's maybe going to be a problem for me. Um, so trauma um, through the concept of how uh, it's really helpful to do stuff like therapy. You can also, if therapy is maybe not accessible for you, maybe financially or, um, or for some other reason, um, there's great workbooks working through uh, the concept of trauma. Um, there's uh, Dr. James Gordon's Transforming Trauma is really good. Uh, Peter Levine's, um, uh, what's it called? Healing Trauma is a great book as well. Um, and so there's lots of great books out there. I think Oprah just put out a book with someone that is um, a trauma um, expert. Um, I think she just wanted to boost his uh, sales and get that data out there and that information out there and the tools to help people. So there's lots of great stuff out there. There's amazing accounts online if you're working through trauma. Uh, Brian Peck, Room to Thrive uh, on Instagram and, and Facebook. Uh, Laura Anderson, Dr. Laura Anderson on Instagram. Um, the Religious Trauma Institute is a phenomenal resource there. It's on Instagram as well, at religioustraumainstitute.com. There's lots and lots. And if you check out my Instagram, you'll find links to so many of these different resources. Um, but do not um, underestimate uh, working through the concept of hell. I'd say that the trauma component is one to look at, especially if you are in that place where you're like, I just don't, I've intellectually made peace with the fact that I don't believe in hell. Um, but it's still bothering me. I'm still having nightmares. I'm still freaking out a little bit every now and again. I think about it and I just freak out. That's maybe something to revisit and, and think about. Another component is honestly time. Now, like I said, you could go years and years and still this be a problem. And that might point to some underlying issues. But for a lot of people, it's just time. It's, it's waiting to see if the lightning strikes after you leave Christianity or something like that, right? So you step outside the church and the lightning bolt doesn't come. You move in with your partner and the lightning bolt doesn't come. You stop believing in hell and the lightning bolt doesn't come, right? You go to a, a humanist church service and the lightning bolt isn't there either. And there's this um, 
fear built into us and established into us because we're taught over and over and over again that that um, God will reject us if we reject him, that, uh, you know, the hedge of protection will be removed or all these different uh, Christianese lingo. Um, but the truth is sometimes it just takes time to realize that I'm not on the wrong, wrong path. This path is actually making me more healthy, more whole. I'm getting better. I feel happier, I feel healthier, my relationships are thriving, I've never felt so uh, mentally well um, as I work through my own uh, stuff and I find permission to, to work on my, my, myself and, and better myself. And that stuff over time does a huge amount to make you realize that it's okay, you're gonna be okay. Um, and so uh, some of that really helps with the fear of hell as you realize that um, it isn't going to be a thunderbolt from the sky, right? The lightning bolt isn't going to hit you. Um, you suddenly realize, oh, it's going to be okay. Maybe I'm not going to go to hell. So that can be a huge thing as well. There's so much um, to say about the concept of hell. And, and I do really recommend, um, you know, if this is a, a problem for you to certainly consider these things. You can always message me if this is really a problem for you. And we can talk about that a little bit more and see if there's more going on. Um, sometimes there can be more going on. Sometimes it takes a, a more nuanced approach. But those are the main kind of things that I would honestly recommend is a lot of the time just taking time, uh, recognizing that's normal to be fearful of this. You've been taught to be fearful of going to hell your whole life. Of course you're scared. Of course you are. That's a really normal, healthy response. Um, it's not a healthy response, you know, 30 years later or something, you know, but if you're just starting to deconstruct and you're fearful of being wrong and, and going to hell, that's really normal. It's okay that you, you are worried about that. Um, it goes on to our second question, which was, um, it came from a lot of people when they said, what if I'm wrong? What if conventional Christians are right? Um, and that's a really hard one to navigate, right? Because at the end of the day, we don't know right? The, the, we're all doing the best we can and we're all led by what we think makes the most sense to us today. And so for most of us, what conventional Christianity was teaching worked for us. For many, many, many years, we believed it. And at some point along the path, um, a whole host of different beliefs and uh, beliefs were questioned and doubts arised and we started to look at different things and we maybe educate ourselves differently or maybe we were hurt in a certain way. Maybe we found uh, that we had been subject to different abuse within the church or from leaders. There's so many things there going on. Um, but for one reason or another, we started to go, this doesn't make sense. There's got to be a better answer. Now, some of us haven't found that better answer. So when you come out and you don't feel so convinced of what you believe today, which is really common, the most common expression of people that first start to deconstruct is to not know what they believe. Um, they just know what they don't believe. But because we don't have a solid, firm, like absolute belief in, in those kind of early stages and maybe ever, um, it's very easy for us to go, well, that was an absolute belief. So what if it was right, right? Because at least they, they have a concrete belief. Um, I could be wrong. The only thing I'm concrete about right now is it's not right. Um, but that might be wrong, especially when we're starting to be critical and, and doubt and question. It's easy to be critical of ourselves and doubt ourselves and question ourselves and question our ability to discern what's true. Now that's again, normal and healthy development. It's okay, it's good. Go question it. Go uh, sit down and think, well, do I really think that that's true? Do I really think that maybe Christianity is true? What you'll probably find is very quickly, if you give space to that, you'll find that you definitely don't, right? 
You know, so you'll sit down and go, do I think that if there was a God, that God would show love through murder? I don't know if I would do. If there was a God that could do anything, that God would limit himself to only be able to forgive through the mechanism of killing people. I don't know if I do that, it doesn't make sense, right? And so what happens is um, rather than kind of repress that and just sit with the doubt of going, maybe you're wrong, go and explore that. Maybe I'm wrong, okay, maybe I'm wrong. Let's start looking at what I've rejected. And very quickly you realize, no, I'm definitely rejecting this. It's definitely not that. You might find that it, with enough space, if you had a very severe rejection of Christianity, you might, excuse me, sorry, something stuck in my throat, you might find that you come back to Christianity and explore some other types of Christianity. Maybe you start exploring the Orthodox movements, or maybe you start um, exploring progressive Christianity or liberation theology and things like that. So you might find that you come back and go, well, okay, yeah, I totally reject some of these things that I was brought up with, but I do feel attracted to some of these Christian things, and I do feel there's maybe some truth to that. That's good as well. I, I, I've said this a thousand times, and I cannot stress it enough, I am not invested in what you believe. I'm invested in helping you get there, whatever it is. And so if you go from being a conventional Christian to being a Muslim, to being an atheist, to being a progressive Christian, to having no idea what you believe, all of those are totally okay with me. And on some level, they have to be totally okay with you. You have to be open to see where you go, what makes sense to you, what do you believe? Um, you have to be open for you to truly work that out and figure that out. And so for some of you, it might be that you come back and revisit Christianity. For others of you, by the time you deconstructed, you'd explored so many different types of Christianity that you're very confident that that's not where you're at anymore. And that's okay as well. Like I said, maybe you're going to head somewhere else. Maybe you're going to be going to agnosticism or atheism or Buddhism or <laughs> Islam or uh, whatever, become uh, spiritual but not religious, maybe some new age belief or a Wiccan or a pagan or, you know, there's lots and lots of different paths that people explore. Um, when we're talking of spirituality, we just talk about the way that we frame ourselves in this world, the story that we give that means that gives meaning to our existence. You know, so even atheists give a story that gives them meaning in this world um, and, and, and gives them some place to exist in this world. And so that's all I mean when I say spiritual. So um, even a journey from being a religious, uh, devoted uh, believer in a certain uh, religion through to atheism is a spiritual growth, in my opinion. It's, it's changing and evolving in your spirituality. Um, and so bear that in mind that as you discover, as you're questioning what if I'm wrong, it, it requires you to be honest with yourself and explore that. Pushing that to the bottom and like, trying to ignore it will only work for so long. Now, also hear me, you may find that you are navigating trauma, that you are um, exhausted from a whole host of different things. A lot of the time when you're deconstructing, you're navigating relationals, uh, relationships falling apart and you're navigating problems with your family and your friends or maybe you're working in ministry or pastor or missionary or something like that. There's a lot going on and maybe you don't have the space to go and evaluate your prior faith and do that. I'm not advocating you killing yourself over this, okay? You have to take your time. You have to listen to your body. You have to realize what space you have. Sometimes the best thing you can do is to just sit on the couch and veg out, right? It's, uh, you know, sit down and binge some Netflix or watch some funny clips on YouTube or flick through some TikTok or whatever. Like, that's okay as well. 
Okay, so I'm not saying the second you have a, a question of like, maybe I'm wrong, I'm saying, well, go do really intentional hard work of evaluating your faith and questioning what you believe. That's maybe not the best thing for you right now. That Please um, hold any advice I give you in that tension that always I'm saying prioritize you, prioritize your health, prioritize your mental health, your space, um, give yourself the space that you need, exercise self-compassion. Um, something else I think is really helpful in trying to navigate the whole thing of what if I'm wrong, what if conventional Christians are right, is to again explore, well, what does that look like? To me, the, the faiths that I've come out of, conventional Christians uh, will be quite happy to uh, see a good portion of the earth burn in hell forever. Now they go, well, we're not happy about it. We don't want that to happen. But what I mean is they're happy in the sense that they accept that theology and don't find flaws. To me, honestly, I've come to the place where I sit down and I've grown in my understanding of morality and ethics that I've grown to the place where if I was honestly wrong and it would be, I have to accept a God who would burn all um, people that identify as homosexual or trans um, or Islam uh, or Muslim, sorry. Um, He's going to burn them forever and ever and ever, um, but he's going to let people off the hook as long as they believe in Jesus. To me, I'm like, put me in the other camp. I don't want to spend eternity with that monster God. I think for a lot of us, if we're honest, we have evolved and grown up in our moral understanding and framing of the world that that type of God is a moral monster. And if we are to be honest with ourselves, we don't want to be with that God. If it is the right God, we'll put me on the right side of history, right? Um, send me off to hell because I would rather spend eternity with all these victims of a moral monster than be in paradise with the moral monster. Now that might not be where you're at. Maybe you're thinking, you know what? I can, I can, uh, I'll, I'll just, I'll just go with the moral monster. The, the whole golden streets and eating grapes all day uh, fed to you um, sounds pretty good, or whatever your vision of heaven was, right? Um, I, I'm not saying that that's where everyone might be, but I think for a lot of us, that's where we've come. If you actually stop and evaluate, well, what if conventional Christians are right? You probably will find, well, I don't care. That's not a healthy thing. That's not love. They might have some truth there um, that that they might be cosmically right, but ultimately, I don't think it's right. I think it's wrong. I think it's unhealthy not to include all in love, not to include all in your grace and your compassion and your mercy, um, to exclude people groups um, solely because of where they were born uh, doesn't feel loving to me. And so for me, that's been really helpful in navigating the concept of, well, what if I am wrong? Um, doing some intellectual work, exploring that, but also questioning, well, do I care? On some level, I'd rather burn than be with God in paradise if that God is a monster. Um, And so that's been helpful for me. I'm going to blast through another three questions just now that are kind of in the same kind of field um, of of each other. Uh, The first one is how to navigate anger when coming out of deconstruction. Now, a lot of people will say to you as you deconstruct, well, you're just angry, um, which is kind of funny, right? Because does that mean that it's wrong? You know, would you say to someone who just got a divorce because their partner was beating them, uh, would you say to them, well, you're just angry? No, I think it's pretty fair to be angry about the fact that your partner was beating you. 
Um, you know, I, I don't think it's unfair to be angry about that. In the same way, I think it's very fair to be quite angry about some of the things that we experienced within Christianity. Maybe you grew up with some really toxic beliefs that really shaped you that uh, in negative ways that have really harmed you, that have created some trauma that you're going to have to work through. Um, you know, a lot of us have high therapy bills because of our upbringing in church. Um, and it's quite normal and natural to feel angry about that. Um, to me, navigating anger is a great way to phrase it because it doesn't diminish the anger. It's not that anger is bad. It's not that we should push anger to the side. Um, but it is that anger, while it can be a phenomenal motivator, I think anger can really fire up people and, 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 and help enact change. You know, we can get angry at the system of religion. We can get angry at the structures that abuse people that helped us uh, be held down for so long and be taught all sorts of untruths or unhelpful things. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, we can get angry about all of that and that can fire us up to make change. Maybe we can start organizations. Maybe we can um, create uh, platforms online to speak out against that and, and to try and enact change and to encourage change, to give uh, other people space to come out of those institutions, maybe to um, allow other people to feel brave enough to speak out against those institutions. These kind of things make massive change. But I will say as well, anger is tiring. Anger does consume energy at a very high rate. Um, and I know for myself that being angry all the time is not helpful for me. I definitely see the occasional tweet or Instagram post and think, fucking hell, like I'm so angry, like this idiot, what are they doing? Or what, you know, why the hell are people still talking about this this way or whatever? I, I'm with you. I get upset. I get angry. Um, and that can be a very helpful channel for me to, to move me into action and to, um, or maybe it highlights some pain that I need to work through and heal as well. Like I think anger can often uh, be a mirror that's held up in front of us that reflects how we still need to grow and, and, be, and be healed as well. Some of the things I get angry about um, it's about the other person, but sometimes it's about me as well. And it's and it's revealing, gosh, Phil, you were hurt in that area and you didn't really realize that. And that's helpful to be suddenly faced with some anger and rage and go, gosh, I need to come to terms with that time in my life, the things that happened there, the things that were said, the things I was taught, whatever it might be. So anger is helpful as a mirror as well. But as much as anger helps teach me how to grow and change and as much as anger can fuel me to make a difference and to make a great Instagram post or put out some content that help people or give a platform for people to change and explore their their faiths and their spiritual journeys it is exhausting and I don't think it is healthy to be consumed with that anger all the time I think it's very natural early on for that to be kind of a default state for a lot of us I know it was for me at some points where I just was so overcome with feeling so angry and frustrated and full of rage um, but in time as we allow that anger to transform us and as we start these new um, systems that create change and we create new platforms and we speak out hopefully we start seeing things that fill us with hope hopefully we start getting full of joy Hopefully we start to um, feel, feel a little bit more peace about the possibility of a better future. Um, and so to me, that's what I want to see in my journey as I continue to move forward is that while the anger is always there, I don't think it's at all healthy about 
uh, for anyone to hear about an injustice done and not get upset and not be angry. I think that's a very unhealthy thing. So, you know, may I never stop being angry when I hear about the, the next church abuse scandal or whatever it is. Like, of course, I, I, I never want to stop being angry about that. But I never want to be consumed with anger so that I cannot be full of peace and love and joy and all these wonderful things because the truth is that's how we change the world even more you know uh, it's it's easy to see someone angry um, and jump on board with them and follow them um, but generally speaking the only person that follows someone that's angry is another person that's angry but to follow someone that is compassionate and kind and loving and changing the world well if i'm angry i want to follow you but even if i'm not angry i want to follow you um, and so I think there's something to me that I want to be continually growing and allowing that anger to fuel personal growth and a different way to interact with the world. I don't want to only be fueled by anger. Um, and so I think it's perfectly normal if you're going through anger. I think it's perfectly normal and healthy to be angry at the things that the church are doing, that leaders are doing, that other people are doing. And it's really important to call that out, to, to be trying to create systemic change, to try and fix these horrifying situations. Um, but yeah, don't be consumed by that anger. I think that's maybe healthy for a short period of time, but long term, to me, it's just a path to burnout, and it has been a path to burnout for me in times. Um, something else that's hard to navigate uh, emotion um, is the shame and regret that we have. You know, sometimes I think a lot of our anger at the church is sometimes um, a little bit of projection. Now, maybe not at things like abuse or things like that, but sometimes I think we have a bit of shame about the fact that we believed certain things, that we uh, taught certain things, that we were so duped by certain things that we feel shame. We feel embarrassed that that was me, that I believed that, especially because it's really hard when you look back to even think like, what was I thinking that I believed that was true, right? Because once you've woken up to something being uh, obviously not true, it's very hard to remember what it was like to think it was true. It's very hard to get ourselves in that old psychological framework. Um, and so we feel a lot of shame uh, a lot of the time. And it's really easy for us to uh, beat ourselves up, to sit there and, and, and you know, ruminate over the things that we've done. Um, and the truth is, you know, that's uh, helpful. It can be really helpful. Any emotion, any emotion I mention in any of these videos or anything else, it's always helpful to look at that emotion and go, where are you coming from? What am I thinking that creates that? What have I been taught that creates that? What's happening in my life that creates that? These are really important things. Emotions uh, reveal really important things and they help us make really helpful um, and good choices if we engage with the emotion, when we bury those emotions, when we push them down, when we try and ignore the shame and the regret, um, that's when we start doing really unhelpful things and unhealthy things. And so it's okay if you feel shame. It's okay if you feel regret. It's okay if you were a youth leader that taught purity culture for 10 years. That's okay. You didn't know any better. You were taught purity culture. Of course, you thought that was the best thing and you should teach it to other people that were young. Like that's Okay, now on a cosmic scale, as we look at the system of teaching purity culture, is teaching purity culture okay? No, but was it okay that you did? Well, you had no other choice and it's already happened. And so you have to just accept that that did happen. You have to give yourself some compassion. You have to look at yourself more kindly. Um, you know, that is what is, and you can't change that. You can, however, use all of that 
moving forwards. And I think this is what's beautiful is, is so many people look at their time within uh, conventional Christianity or whatever you're coming from. Maybe you're coming from a cult. Maybe you're coming from a more uh, unconventional form of Christianity. Maybe uh, Jehovah's Witness, Mormon, something like that. Um, whatever it is you're coming out of, um, it's really hard not to feel shame and regret and things like that. But the truth is that doesn't have to be wasted time. We, we can often look back. I remember talking to a pastor once and they were looking through all their journals and they were talking to me and they had dozens and dozens and dozens of journals. And they're like, these are full of all my prayers. And the time I would just think about other people that I loved and I'd write down my thoughts and my prayers for them and I'd ask God to intercede in their lives. And I would think about my life and I'd try and figure out how am I going to be a better person. And I'd ask God to make me a better person and God would speak to me and I'd write that down and I'd pray. And, and she's looking at all these journals going, I've wasted all these years doing this. And in one sense, maybe maybe on one sense that, that feels very true and, 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 it, and it might even be on some level uh, true. But the truth is anyone that know, knew this pastor, anyone that knew this person would say that was not a waste. She helped so many people. She loved so many people. She developed in so much uh, uh, as, a, as a person and, and developed in her character and her ability to love. You know, these years maybe spent differently than she could have, have actually formed her into the amazing person she is today. Maybe she would never have deconstructed it if she hadn't spent those years doing that. Uh, maybe she would have just been a much less intentional Christian. And so, would, which would be a bigger waste, right? You know, and so the truth is all that we do doesn't need to be wasted. The only wasted years are the years that we choose to be wasted years. If we allow them, if we look at it and we go, how did this form me? How can I allow this to shape me? Um, you know, the truth is that your experience of living in that Christian bubble will help you moving forwards to live a better life. Even if it is, I just don't want to be like that. Even if it's just a reaction of that's how I won't live. That's helpful. That's helpful information to, to grab a hold of and move forward with. But the truth is, there's probably quite a bit that we do appreciate about our Christian uh, time as a Christian, time in the faith. Um, and it would do as well to remember that. There's some great things that we learned while we were in conventional Christianity. We learned how to love each other. We learned to care for each other. Um, you know, we learned all kinds of different disciplines in our life. We learned to put other people before us. Now, of course, that can be a very unhelpful uh, pattern, but the truth is always putting ourselves before other people um, can be a very unhelpful thing as well. It's, it's, it's life it requires nuance, right? You need to think about it. If you've just watched someone get hit by a car and you're standing on the side of the road, it's a good idea to put them before yourself and, you know, call an ambulance and fit, help them. Um, you know, so nuance, figure out the context. And, and so it, we learn a lot of these different um, abilities and techniques within Christianity. A lot of us learned great social skills. A lot of us learned uh, to be more emotionally intelligent. Um, many uh, men learned to get in touch with their emotions more through the mechanism of prayer or journal that they might not have in a um, a less quote-unquote touchy-feely environment. You know, a, a lot of men skew very feminine within the church, which is kind of funny because churches hate that, right? They're all about men being more masculine, but actually men become more feminine within churches um, on the whole. Um, and that's a positive, right? And so there's loads of different benefits um, that we can pull from those years and it doesn't have to be completely wasted time. And so it's okay if you feel some shame and some regret. That's helpful. It's your teacher. Sit with that pain sit with that emotion, 
evaluate it. What's it bringing up? Why do I feel like that? How am I going to work through this? Again, therapy can be really helpful for working through these things or journaling or meditating, contemplating. There's so many different ways, even just talking about it with friends and family. Um, if you have those still, um, you know, talking about it with your partner or something like that can be really helpful um, as you navigate that shame and guilt, uh, shame and regret. The other emotion, the last one I want to talk about is guilt. And guilt is a huge one. Um, you know, there's, there's regretting your time within Christianity, but there's a whole other component of being guilty about your time in Christianity. I touched on it slightly earlier when I was talking about maybe the example of teaching kids purity culture. And now you're on the outside and you go, oh my gosh, I was really harming these kids. I was teaching them, uh, you know, I was overly sexualizing children. I was teaching them really unhelpful things about sexuality, about sex. Um, I maybe really hurt some kids that might have been LGBTQ+. Um, there was all sorts of things there that I feel really guilty about. And again, I say, sit with that, process that, look at it. But as best you can be compassionate again, in the same way that you wouldn't, um, uh, you know, you wouldn't beat up someone for being Muslim when they were born in Baghdad, you know, you shouldn't beat yourself up for being Christian when you were born in Iowa or something like that, right? Um, it's funny because um, I think because we have changed, you know, look at the example of maybe the person born in Baghdad. If you were born in Baghdad and your um, family died in bombings uh, during the, the first war in Iraq with uh, the first Bush, you know, and there's a bunch of bombings and, and um, your family die and then you get brought under the wing from some militant group of Islam and they heavily militize you and, and, and fundamentalize you and you become a terrorist. Part of us can look at that and go, well, of course they became a terrorist. Yeah, like, gosh, like a bunch of Americans killed their family. No wonder they hate America. No wonder they uh, ended up fundamental. They were taken in, in their orphanage that took them in was a fundamental radicalization group. Um, of course that happens. It's very easy when people are far away and sometimes to look at that and go, well, of course, you know, like, of course, if I was in their shoes, that would be me too. But it's very hard sometimes for us to go into the shoes of someone that is like us. You know, we look at the pastor in, uh, in the church and we go, well, like, they just, they're teaching lies. They should know better. But the truth is, we didn't know better until we did. Um, and so the truth is, we need to look at everyone wherever they are. That's where they are able to be. Everyone's trying to do their best. Everyone's trying to move forward. Everyone's working with where they're at. And the truth is, if you went back to be the same you you were 20 years ago, five years ago, 10 years ago, one year ago, six weeks ago, you wouldn't be the same person you are today. And so we seem to look back in history and judge poor 19 year old us that's just come out of youth group and is now leading the youth group. And we go, well, they, they were so stupid and how could they teach these unhelpful things? And you've got to give yourself compassion. You were a kid, you grew up in the church, you were, brainwashed into believing purity culture at every angle. Gosh, you were constantly pulled aside and taught about the dangers of masturbation, the dangers of the gay agenda, the dangers of blah, 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 blah. Of course you believed that stuff. Of course you taught that stuff. You didn't know any better. There's got to be some compassion to our previous selves. And so it's okay if you feel guilty, but don't let that fester on. Don't sit in that guilt forever. Allow that guilt to teach you. Allow that guilt to, comfort, to, to to transform you. Look at that guilt and go, why do I feel guilty? Gosh, I feel guilty because I hurt those kids. Okay, stop. What can I do about that? Can I change who I was? No. 
could I contact some of those people and say, hey, I'm really sorry that I taught you some of those things and I don't believe that anymore. And if there's anything that I did that hurt you, I really apologize. Maybe you could do that, would that help? Because that's something you can do today. Um, can you extend some compassion to yourself now and, 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 and allow that to transform how you feel about the situation? Can you look at that younger you and go, well, of course you did what you did. I totally understand the passion and the zeal that I had back then and I release any shame or guilt that I'm putting on myself because that doesn't change anything. The person that I'm shaming and guilting doesn't exist anymore. I'm a different person, right? You today are shaming your old self and feeling terrible about it today. Um, that old self is gone. They don't exist. The only person that exists is you today and you do know better. You know better enough to be feeling guilty and shameful, right? So you have grown, you are better. There's no benefit to sitting and wallowing in that guilt. Um, and so please don't, don't do that. Don't do that to yourself. You've got to let go. You've got to move forward. I had a great conversation with Joshua Harris about this on my podcast. You can check it out. I um, can't remember what episode number it is, but it wasn't that long ago. So if you check it out in the last kind of 20, 30 podcasts or so. Um, and we talked about that. You know, he wrote the book, I Kissed Dayton Goodbye. He was very fundamental in the creation of a lot of purity culture in the 90s. And uh, he deeply regrets that and, and you know, has come out and spoke out against that. He's been part of helping create a documentary that, that um, speaks out against that. And, you know, he's been very vocal about his change in beliefs. And he has had to sit with a lot of pain knowing that he harmed so many people. And, you know, I talked to him about that and I talked about how do you navigate those guilt and that guilt and that, that shame and the regret. And so if you're personally really struggling with that, it might be helpful for you to listen to him talk about how he navigated that as well because there's some really great stuff in that episode. One of the things that I wanted to talk about, I posted about this this week. Um, uh, I hope you don't mind, we're just rattling through these. I know I, it doesn't feel like I'm rattling. I've done what, five questions in 45 minutes, um, but I'm trying to get through as many as I can. We'll, we'll pause at some point and uh, pick it up again next week. But one of the things I talked about this week was um, struggling with mental health. How important it is to understand that struggling with mental health is very, 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 very common if you're deconstructing. You know, 50% of people, period, across the board will struggle with depression or anxiety in their life. Um, I think it's between 7 and 8% of people in life will ex experience post-traumatic stress. Uh, complex post-traumatic stress might be even more. Uh, there's not very good numbers on that yet. It's still such an early emerging um, field of uh, study and, and uh, diagnosis. Um, but loads of people are undergoing different types of work to work through depression and anxiety and trauma and things like that. And the truth is that Christianity on the whole has done a terrible job in handling mental health. Despite the fact that half of people will struggle with depression and anxiety, most people in the church are taught not to go to therapy. If they are uh, told to go to therapy, they're usually funneled into some form of Christian quote unquote therapy where generally they're not very qualified. They do um, different um, 
deliverance programs. They pray to get demons out of you. They encourage you, well, if you just read your Bible more or pray more, your, your depression will go, your, your anxiety will go. They'll quote things and say, well, the joy of the Lord is your strength. Or, or the fruits of the Spirit include joy. Depression isn't a fruit of the Spirit. You should just, and they shame by doing that. Or they say, well, anxiety is just worry. And Jesus says, don't worry. And so they shame again for being worried or for being depressed. And, and so, and of course, not all Christians are like this. Some Christians do well. You have to understand whenever I'm talking about this, I'm talking in broad strokes about general uh, Christianity, usually even just general American Christianity. Um, but on the whole, Christianity has not done well with people that are struggling with mental health. Now, as you deconstruct, it's really common for all kinds of stuff to come up. It may well be that you've been struggling with depression and anxiety and had trauma, um, but haven't been given permission to deal with it until you kind of came out of church or you came out of um, uh, under authority but from a pastor that was telling you to deal with it in a certain way or maybe you've started doing some sort of therapy and suddenly a whole bunch of stuff comes out. Um, I gave the example on uh, the post I made this week, but I used to um, know this guy and he uh, bought this house and he loved it, but he wanted to basically um, knock through some of the walls on the downstairs um, to basically have more of an open plan. So he, there was a wall between the kitchen and the living room and he thought it'd be so much nicer if it was a big open plan space. Um, and so he hired a contractor and they came in and they started knocking down the wall. And as they did, they found there was this huge infestation of some sort of termite or bug or something that was eating away all the wood in the house and it was of course an american house so everything's made of wood um not like the houses here in the uk were all brick um less uh, less uh, uh exposed to termites we are in the uk um but the contractor said oh my gosh he's like we cannot take this wall down right now you're gonna need major structural work and honestly i would call in a surveyor to evaluate the whole house. And he did that and actually it turned out the house was very compromised and he had to do major structural work on the whole house um, to kind of get it up and uh, to, to code again. And, and there had to be all kinds of like, you know, obviously terminating all the, the termites and stuff like that. Um, and so there was just lots of problems. Now, the question, the reason I bring that up is I wanna ask you a question. Did the guy do the wrong thing by knocking down the wall? Of course not, right? But this is what we do with mental health. A lot of the time people who come out of church suddenly discover they've got all these mental health problems and we blame leaving the church. We blame deconstructing. But the truth is all that was is it revealed what was the current state of our mental health. And actually it's a really good thing that we've done that. It's a really good thing that we've unearthed that we've got some stuff to work through. Honestly, Working through your mental health stuff can be some of the most rewarding and, and beautiful and exciting and, and, and powerful and empowering stuff you will ever do. It's exhausting. Don't get me wrong. It is awful at times. It is. It feels like you've been hit with a sledgehammer sometimes. Honestly, it feels like wading through waist deep crap sometimes. But it's always so worth it. It really is. And so, you know, this is a huge area of potential growth for you. And so please don't feel shame about having any form of mental health um, issues that you need to navigate and process and work through. You know, it's so normal for us to have these things, especially in this day and age when so much is going on. I mean, gosh, post-COVID and pandemic stuff, like that's done a whole number on a whole bunch of people. And the truth is so many people will never explore that because they are in the church and they're taught to kind of just smile and grin and bear it and keep moving because the joy of the Lord is your strength. Um, and so take 
advantage of the fact that you are able to take mental health seriously, that you are able to take care of yourself seriously, that you're able to prioritize your mental health seriously and do that. But I always recommend if people can afford it, gosh, even if you don't know of any mental health issues, if you can afford it, get a therapist, meet up with a therapist every two weeks, every week, uh, if you have that kind of disposable income, because your life will be better for having a safe third party to talk with you about your life, about your day-to-day, help you process discussions you've had, thoughts you have, concerns, fears, whatever. Um, That is healthy anyway, Never mind if a whole bunch of mental health stuff has come up as you've started to deconstruct. But the number one thing I want for you to do, take away from that whole thing is do not think there's something wrong with you. You are perfectly normal if you are feeling anxiety or depression or something like that as you deconstruct. That's a hard thing to go through. It's really hard to go through those things. It's normal if you have been traumatized through that process. It's normal if you are feeling depressed about losing your faith in God, about losing your community, about losing your beliefs. It's normal if you're feeling anxious about going to hell, about being wrong, um, you know, about having conversations with your family and not knowing how it will go. Those things are really normal. And so please, please, please don't allow Christians to shame you for that sort of thing. So many Christians will say, well, that's clear evidence that if you leave the church, it all goes to shit. It all goes wrong. It's clear evidence you're backsliding. It's clear evidence that Satan's got his hold of you. It's clear evidence that God's removed his protection from you. It's clear evidence of nothing. Um, It's it's literally just revealing what is. You know, like the, the my friend that had the wall knocked down, the house was riddled with termites, whether the wall got knocked down or not. But knocking that wall down allowed him to take it seriously, to deal with it. And today, as best I know, I've not stayed in touch with this guy, but as best I know, he's got a good house and it's upright. (laughs) Um, And so that's the goal, right? The goal is to create a healthy you. Um, And so revealing the problems that are going on there is not a bad thing. That's a good thing. You should be proud of doing work that is intentional about growing and developing who you are. And so please don't allow Christians to shame or guilt you or anything like that. I think we're going to pause there. Let's let's stop there and we'll we'll maybe make this a four or five part series. Um, it might be easier for me to reference people to these episodes as well if there's only so many um, topics that we cover. Um, but I hope some of those things have been helpful for you. If you need to talk about any of this stuff, please feel free to message me on Instagram anytime. As I say, I'm going through a lot right now. So my response rate is a little bit slower than usual. I sometimes take a couple of days. Um, Usually I used to answer straight away, but um, I am doing my best. If you do catch me when I'm on there, I I love chatting backwards and forwards. I I really do enjoy that. I love hearing how you're getting on. I love being able to help you in any way I can. Please, please, please consider um, therapy if you need something like that. Um, I'm, as I said, I'm happy to talk to you, but I am not a therapist. I'm not able to provide that service. Um, and I help hundreds of people every day chatting to them and I only have so much space. So I'm here to listen. I'm here to point you in the right direction. Um, but I can't be your therapist. You know, I, I, you wouldn't want me to be. I'm, I'm grossly underqualified for something like that. Um, and so, yeah, uh, if you need more community, I would encourage you, like I said at the beginning, check out the deconstructionnetwork.com. Um, It's a great free resource to connect with people that are deconstructing. Um, We're about to put out our next um, iteration of research. So we're going to put out another study. And so it'd be great to have you involved in our research. You can go to the deconstructionnetwork.com slash research to get involved with that. Um, And yeah, if you want to support what I'm doing, check it out on patreon.com slash phildrysdale, phildrysdale.com slash 
partner. Um, and through those links, you can support what I'm doing, keep great resources coming out. I think they're great. Um, keep these, these resources coming out and being free. Um, you can help me pay my bills as I give my full time to this endeavor of helping people who are deconstructing. Um, and as a bonus, you get access to our community, the monthly Zooms, the, the regular Zooms we do on top of that, the audio messages and uh, audio uh, chats that we do and things like that as well. Um, be great to see you on that Discord uh, group. All right, that's enough from me. Thank you for listening. Thanks for your time. I always appreciate your um, your time. I value it so much. And I really appreciate um, that this is a hard journey you're going through. Deconstruction is not easy. This is a lot. Um, you should be proud of yourself for what you're doing. Um, and it's normal if you're finding this hard. It really is a hard process for 99.9% .9 of us. It really is. And so it's okay though. It gets easier. It gets um, more, uh, I don't know what the right word is. It becomes easier. It might not change a lot of things initially. It might take a while for things to change. It might take a while for you to feel more certain in your path. It might take a while for you to feel more comfortable with uncertainty. It might take a while for you to realize how to do relationships with your family and things like that. But it is going to get better and it is going to be okay. And you're doing the right thing. You are trying to be authentically honest with yourself in your pursuit of your spirituality and the way that you frame this world in the way that you make meaning in this world and the way that you see the world and yourself and others um, it's important that you do that authentically and honestly um, and it's really brave that you do that most people can't do that and stay in cognitive dissonance they subconsciously sabotage themselves from doing that because they are too fearful of the consequences and so you've done one of the bravest things you can do in facing those consequences and embarking on this journey and so honestly well done well done for that it's a huge huge deal all right i love you all and i'll see you in the next episode peace